Just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and guests and in no way represent the state of Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Historical Society, or the Oklahoma State Historic Preservation Office. Welcome to the Musings of an ADD Mind podcast. This is your host, Jack, and I have the ADD Mind. Um, I had a full month of March episodes planned out. I'm not going to be able to do them. I have a family medical emergency that is pretty much going to probably make the next two to three weeks impossible for me to record. Um, so what I'm doing instead is I am going to play some older episodes of Kenyatta and Jack Save the World, which is my second podcast. I hope you give it a listen, and I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's informative for you. I will try to get back with everybody with regular episodes for the month of April. Thank you, and I really appreciate it. Just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. Who are Kenyatta and Jack? We're just friends who are Gen Xers, former Air Force brats, parents, taxpayers, and citizens of the earth. And we're here to save it one podcast at a time. Welcome to Kenyatta and Jack Save the World. We appreciate you tuning in to listen. This is number something. We've reached a point where I can't keep count. I, of course, am Jack, and joining me is the brains of the operation, Kenyatta. Kenyatta, how are you doing today? I'm good, Jack. I'm doing pretty good. And just to reiterate that fact, it is episode number seven. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Math was never my strong point. Me either. <laughs> well, I was glad to hear that you didn't get snowed in like the rest of Virginia did. That was oh, good to hear. Yeah, it was. We got wind and rain and barely enough snow to dust the grass. That was about it. That's good. Yeah, Unless you wanted was- snow. No, I mean, I can take it or leave it. I can't do anything about it if it shows up, but working from home has its benefits. So I could just sit and stare at the pretty from inside. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's I just totally. worry about, yeah, I just worry about my kid, you know, her coming and yeah. going because she, she travels over a bridge to get to and from work. So mm-hmm. otherwise it wasn't bad. It usually isn't. That's the one thing coronavirus has taken away from the kids today, snow days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that used to be a big deal. It used, yeah. I mean, I, I feel upset because we don't get snow days anymore. Oh, I do. I work for the state. Yeah, see, ever since they sent us home, there's no such thing as a snow day. I, I love snow days working for the state. <laughs> I bet. I miss it. <laughs> it's lovely. We don't it's no here in Oklahoma anymore. So I remember really those days, man. Yeah, we just get ice, good old ice storms. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. October of last year, no, the year before 20, we had a big ice storm like October 11th, mm-hmm. and something like uh, half a million people lost power, and they came from all states, you know, to help put it back up. My street was the last street in Oklahoma to have power restored. Oh, God. Yeah. We we stayed at Heather's mom for like 12 days. My goodness. I was so ready to come home. Not that I dislike her mom or anything. I just wanted to sleep in my bed. <laughs> yeah, that's there's something about that. That's how I feel when I travel. Yeah. I, I use most of the time, you know, when I travel, I'm, I'm going to see somebody I want to see or doing something I want to do, but there's nothing like sleeping in your own bed. Yeah, everything. It's home team advantage. Mm-hmm. It's just it, easier. <laughs> and it, because it's just me, there's no one to complain right. about my alleged snoring. It, exactly. I don't 
snore because I have a CPAP. If I did not have the CPAP, I would snore. I think that may be an indicator that I might need to go ahead and get a sleep study, but. You should. uh, (laughs) I feel a lot better after I got my CPAP. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing what breathing all night does for you. I bet. (laughs) 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 Goodness gracious. (laughs) Anyway, do you have your uh, WTF moment ready? I do. And. It is related, actually, to our topic. Oh. But it's it's one of them ones that just, in the context of our topic today, it's another one of those things that just make you just, mm. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I don't know if you're familiar with a lady named uh, Claudette Colvin. I'm not. She was 15 in 1955. And she refused to give up her seat on a Montgomery City bus nine months before Rosa Parks. I do know who that is. Mm -hmm. I do. And am I not mistaken that one of the reasons they kind of didn't make a big deal because she was uh, darker skinned than later on with Rosa? Yes, that was part of it. Um, When it happened, uh, of course, she was arrested as per the quote-unquote law in the city at the time um, because she was in the wrong part of the bus. Mm-hmm. And when the local, you know, civil rights movement caught wind of it, you know, they didn't make a big deal or they didn't really seek her out, one, because she was a little darker-skinned, two, because she was 15, mm-hmm. three, she was pregnant and unmarried. Oh, yeah, the trifecta. Oh. Yeah, so... Being what the civil rights movement was, and and really basically what um, good black people were expected to be back in the fifties and sixties, mm-hmm. they decided that wasn't a good look as far as having her represent what they were trying to do there. Mm-hmm. So that's why when Rosa Parks did the exact same thing nine months later, Miss Parks became literally the unofficial face of the Montgomery boy- bus boycott. Mm-hmm. So. The WTF moment is that just last month in December of 2021, Miss mm-hmm. Colvin finally had her arrest record expunged. Oh, that's late, but good. She is now 82. Well, that's it's not surprising. Mm-hmm. But I'm but it, glad it's it still happened. one of those. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. And she said, "Quote: My record was expunged." And my name was cleared, and I'm no longer a juvenile delinquent at 82. <laughs> so, a great uh, way to put it, even though yeah. it took way too long. It did. That That's what got me because I had, you know, would see her name pop up here and there and, you know, do it again. And I didn't know about her until maybe 25 years, 20, 25 years ago, I think, mm-hmm. because she's not mentioned that often. And no, which is she's a shame not. because she wasn't the only one, obviously. Rosa Parks wasn't the only one. They were quite a few black people that were arrested for the very same thing, which, of mm-hmm. course, those arrests were what, in, in total, what prompted the bus boycott. But her name doesn't come up a lot. And when it does, like I said, it's kind of like, She's one of those forgotten faces. And mm-hmm. they even contacted her when they went to um, court in a civil lawsuit. And she testified. And then they didn't, when the outcome came out, it was due, it was the bus, it was behind the bus boycott. When the outcome came out, no one called to tell her. She had to watch on the news. So it's kind of like, hmm. On the one hand, she was useful and on the other hand unfortunately she she tends to be a forgotten piece of that very important part of history yes and that's just but like i said to go all these years and finally someone said oh hey she actually had a petition to have her record expunged it wasn't like Mm -hmm. someone saw it and said oh let she had a petition wow so they finally like oh yeah we can go ahead and do that oh okay yeah this is a story that would fit into our uh, February theme mm-hmm. of people that are important to Black history that you may not know about. Yes, yes, definitely. She would. She would definitely be one of those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
but yes, that was that was my my story. I kind of held on to this one because I was, you know, we were we were throwing around this particular topic, so I held on mm. to this one. But I think it was worth the moment. So I I agree with you. Yeah. Mm. Anywho, what is your WTF? Okay, are you sitting the- down? Because you might find this funny. Oh my. <laughs> So today in our article by Susan Rincunas from the website Jezebel, Uh posted at 3.25 p.m., lawyers challenging Biden's COVID vaccine rules both have COVID. And uh, this was in front of the Supreme Court. And the article reads, the situation would be honestly hilarious if it weren't so bleak. Today, the Supreme Court heard arguments in a case challenging to Biden administration COVID-19 vaccine policies, one for healthcare facilities and one for employers with more than 100 workers. Then in parentheses, it says the large employer rule is technically a weekly testing mandate with an exception for people who are vaccinated, but no one is calling it that. Mm-hmm. Close parentheses. The rules were announced in September and clarified in early November before we'd ever heard of the words Omicron variant. But the two but two of the lawyers challenging the regulations had to both make their arguments by phone because, well, they have COVID. Bruders reports that Ohio Solicitor General Benjamin Flowers and Louisiana Solicitor General Liz Merle both tested positive for the virus. Per the court's own protocols, attorneys must get a PCR test the day before arguments, and if they're positive, they have to participate remotely, which is similar to the workplace rule issued by OSHA, but Flowers and Mural are essentially arguing that other people should have to go to work with people who aren't vaccinated or haven't been tested. It's truly something. (laughs) It's like, wow, that kind of humorous. And uh, Justice Kagan said, asked the question, who decides? Should it be the agency full of expert policymakers politically accountable to the president? Or courts can decide. Courts are not politi- politically accountable. Courts have no epidemiological expertise. Why in the world would courts decide this question? And then frustrated, she said, I would think that workplace risk is about the greatest, least controllable risk with respect to COVID that any person has. You have to be there and you have to have to be there with a bunch of people you don't know and who might be completely irresponsible. So that's uh, WTFE in a funny way because... Oh my goodness. (laughs) What is happening? (laughs) The protocols you're trying to get the Supreme Court to stop you have to be a part of what is happening <laughs> i know i oh, know my goodness i was gonna go with Rand paul oh i mean just saying Rand paul is funny <laughs> oh. well, i mean we can honorable mention him i, I have it handy i just I, need to move a few papers here yeah I it's think, uh, i think you can do a two for today go for it okay <laughs> The other day, Senator Rand Paul tweeted it. How to steal an election sent seating an area heavy with potential Democratic votes with as many absentee ballots as possible, targeting and convincing potential voters to complete them in a legally valid way and then harvesting and counting the results. Pretty sure that's voting, right? I mean, <sighs> isn't that voting, right? What, what, is, ha- <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> I mean, he he's describing voting, right? <laughs> I want off this planet right now. <laughs> I know we set out to save it, but I just, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I've been chuckling at that since I read it. He literally says legally. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (sighs) Mm. 
that tweet alone should get him uh, kicked out of con- uh, the Senate. I mean, we all know it won't. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, goodness gracious. Yeah. I, mm-mm, I, mm-mm. Nope. <laughs> yeah. I am, I am exhausted with these shenanigans. I just, but they do good, they do make for good, for good um, fodder. It really does. On one hand, on the other hand, it's happening to us. So I, I know. Oh goodness, <laughs> that's called voting, Rand. It it really is. But I mean, when he runs, does he not try to convince people to vote for him? Sure, it's called what, campaigning. Yes, I. Yeah, unless they 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 renamed it or I. There's only been one president. That did not have to campaign, and that was George Washington, basically. And then Adams, he campaigned some, and then him and Jefferson had the worst uh, campaign for many years <laughs> when they ran against each other way back in the day. Anyway, moving back to modern times. Did you see the sentences in the McMichael McMichael Bryan case came down I, today? I did. I did. And um, wonder of wonders. And I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, only beca- I wasn't they, surprised oh, only ahead. because <clears throat> the judge had been so consistent. Mm-hmm. So it made sense that he it, he would go ahead and go with that that level of sentence. He he had been consistent in how he felt about this. He was still mm. following the law, but he was consistent about how he felt about it. So how he how he sentenced made sense. But on the same time, that they got a sentence like this was surprised. Am I am I contradictory here, or do you follow what I'm trying to say? Mm. I think it's, I am. Because it's so rare that we see what we consider justice in these cases. And when there is a sentence, it seems so underwhelming. And in this case, it was not. It was appropriate. It is yeah. exactly what they deserved. And I liked how he had a uh, minute of silence for him mm-hmm. and stated for just a moment of the time he had to run to his, uh, try to get away from you guys. I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So like he, he needs he needs everybody to understand. Like when you sit there and you're told to sit there for a minute quietly, it don't it, it kind of makes you feel fidgety sometimes or a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Imagine how that man felt running down the road like he did for three to five minutes, yeah. having someone riding behind him screaming. Can you I know. I, I was glad to obviously to see them found guilty and glad that they got the sentences that they got. Mm-hmm. And let that be a lesson to people that Batman only works in comics and movies. You bet. You bet. And don't let anything else that's happened last year fool you. Mm-mm. Mind yeah. your own business. Yeah. It's a start. But, you know, I, I thought we were past the start. And apparently we weren't. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We'll, we'll see if it was a false start. Interesting enough, for as many cases as we've had come up in the last year or so, they have been actually found people guilty. Mm-hmm. It's a more promising start than what's happened in the past. Yes. So, yeah, for sure. Know, between Chauvin and then um, uh, Potter, you mm-hmm. know, both of them former police officers, and now these three. There might be some to it. I'm hesitant. I am cautiously optimistic, but we'll see. Yeah, we definitely will. And in a way that ties in to what you were going to talk about today, mm-hmm. because, well, the person you're going to talk about dealt with this way back in the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. So that- I'm going to uh, let you start. And I'm going to learn. Okay. So today we are talking about a man that really doesn't need an introduction, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Mm -hmm. So 
I won't necessarily go in a whole go into a whole lot about his background per se, because really anybody that's Jack in my age around that time, we learned about him in mm-hmm. school. Yes, the basics about how uh, he's a Baptist uh, preacher and eventually became the most iconic figurehead of the civil rights movement mm-hmm. in that he was assassinated in 1968 at the very yes. young age of 39 years old. So what most people know about him, of course, the civil rights leader, that he was a fantastic orator. Yes. And he had a way of, of not just putting together speeches, but the way he conveyed these messages to crowds was, was mesmerizing. It was moving. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it doesn't take but like a couple minutes of a Google search and you can find many instances of any speeches that he's ever done. The most famous one being the I Have a Dream speech. Yes. That was done on the March on Washington back in August of 1963. Mm-hmm. So what I wanted to touch on, though, not necessarily the man himself, but how in years since his death, how and especially in the most uh, last several years, especially how a lot of his quotes, and he's very quotable, and I don't, I don't mean to minimize him in any way, but he's, he's got a lot of quotes that even by themselves are, are moving. They're, mm-hmm. they're meant to be uh, inspirational, and they, which most of them are, but they've been mm-hmm. taken out of context and applied to so many situations and um, people that in his day, he would have never been siding with he would never approve of what these people try to twist his words to fit to right right so the the first thing i wanted to touch on is the fact that the way a lot of us learned about him in school which again of course i did as many of us did but later on um early in early in school in grade school we were taught that he was supposedly a pacifist and he was interested in bringing everybody in this country together uh, loving each other as equally as brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. not quite. Or his time um, at the time that he was at his height in doing most of his work during the 1950s and 60s, he was considered a radical by yes. many, white yes. and black. He was not a rule follower. He was a lawbreaker, but he encouraged lawbreaking in a nonviolent way. He meant to cause what they call unrest. Uh, what, we, what we would probably equate to something like disruption today. And a lot of um, images that we've been seeing in the last year and a half, on close to two years um, of people protesting in the streets, on the highways, blocking traffic, those were the same kind of tactics Dr. King would encourage mm-hmm. his people to use, blocking roadways, protesting, disrupting, taking up space. And, and breaking laws, and granted, the laws that were existed at the time, they may have been "quote unquote" legal, but there was nothing moral about them, and right. they knew that, and that's the exact reason that they they did what they did. So, wasn't um, like part of it was that like he knew that if like the everyday person saw the vile and horrible treatment they were getting, that. And then, like them enduring it, that it would change people's viewpoint of what's going on. Am I correct in that at all? You're close. That wasn't, it was his idea, but it was a, a thought process that was carried on by um, those of that, that were with him in their part of the movement. And it, it's interesting because that kind of leads into one of his more, um, well-known protests, mm-hmm. the Selma to Montgomery March in 1965. Mm-hmm. And you see, you see pictures of this all the time on the internet where yes. him and his wife and all of his, his people are linked arm in arm, row after row after row, crossing through, um, through Selma. I believe it's the William M. Pettus Bridge mm-hmm. where they were met with police in batons and dogs mm-hmm. and fire hoses. So um, the very same day that chick, that iconic photo was taken, he was actually arrested not too long after that. He was arrested often. And 
he had received a letter from some fellow fellow clergymen, um, white clergymen in the area that were trying to tell him to tone it down because he was doing too much. And they felt like he was too extreme and radical and he would invite violence. And they didn't think that what he was doing was the right way to go about it. It, was the right, it wasn't the right way to protest, mm-hmm. whatever that's supposed to mean. Right. So during that time, while he was in jail, he wrote what's now known as uh, letters from a Birmingham jail. He was answering back some of those concerns that those clergymen had about you don't have to do it like this. You don't have to be so extreme. Let's just wait and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And a quote from his letters from a Birmingham jail uh, goes the following. Perhaps it is easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait. But when you have seen vicious mobs, lynch your mothers and fathers at will, and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, and even kill your Black brothers and sisters, then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. So I said every, a lot of people had the impression that he was, he was, he was like I say, he was a pacifist, that he was, was, he was good with words, but they felt like he was just preaching mm-hmm. uh, unification and rom- rainbows and butterflies. No, he needed action. He wanted action and he knew where to go or who to talk to to have it done. And it wasn't just obviously fellow blacks. He was trying to move what he considered moderate whites. Mm-hmm. He felt like they were even a bigger threat than the racist whites because they were the ones that kept telling him to wait. Let's mm-hmm. work within the law. Let's do it this way. And he's like, no, we can't do that. So for all these years later to, to uh, misportray him as a person, as that kind of person, it's not fair, especially mm-hmm. when you try to use his words and his actions out of context to try to shame people, let's say like the Black Lives Matters movement and say, he wouldn't have done it this way. Yes, he would have. It's exactly the way he would have done it. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's it really irritates me to have that man's words taken and twisted in a way to try to minimize and shame people that are out for the same kind of justice and equality that he was looking for all those years ago. And the fact that we're still talking about the same things 60-something years later, I mean, that should tell you something about the state of affairs in America anyway. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? I guess it starts about 10 days before Martin Luther King Day. And all of a sudden, everybody starts putting Martin Luther King quotes on their Facebook and posting it. And I always have two thoughts of that. One, in the 60s, you probably hated Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. And two, why don't you ever post anything the rest of the year? It it's almost like, well, I posted before Martin Luther King Day. I've done my part. <laughs> and I don't know, that just always kind of irritates me. And, and it should, because this is this is a man whose whose speeches in quotable quotes, it's it's almost disrespectful to just trot him out once a year. Yeah. It's it's nonsense. And frankly, that's how should I put it? It's almost like it's like a kid's toy. You bring him out at an appropriate time of the year, and then the rest of the time, right. what he's talking about doesn't matter. It, it doesn't apply. Yeah. Unless you can trot him out in January or during Black History Month or any time you need to use a quote to, you know, try to shame somebody into behaving better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Now, I'm going to admit to you, I have a love-hate relationship with Martin Luther King Day, but it doesn't have anything to do with him. Mm -hmm. My dad died on Martin Luther King Day, 2003. Oh. And so as that day comes up, because everybody's talking about Martin Luther King and his Mm -hmm. day, Mm -hmm. it really just makes me think of my dad. (laughs) You know, and it has nothing to do with Martin Luther King other than the buildup to the 20th or, you know, it, 
my dad died on the 20th, but it was Martin Luther King Day that year. Mm-hmm. So I associate it with Martin Luther King Day. And so there's just all of this buildup. And it's just like, but my dad died on that day. Mm-hmm. And it was completely unexpected when my dad died. We had no mm-hmm. clue anything. He just had a massive heart attack and died at 55. Ooh. So anyway, yeah. that's that's my love-hate relationship with Martin Luther King Day. Has nothing to do with the man. Oh no, I understand. <laughs> and it, it that's completely understandable. I can I can see where those those two those two events are inextricably twined up and it's nobody's fault. So completely understandable, (laughs) completely. Mm. So when I was doing my research for this, putting this information Mm -hmm. together and how Dr. King was being told during his time, what you're doing is not the right way to protest. Mm -hmm. And the correlation in my head popped up, of course. And then I ran over here and dug up this bit information. Well, if doing protests and sit-ins and bus boycotts and strikes, if that's not the way to protest unfair treatment, and if folks told Colin Kaepernick that taking a knee during the national anthem was the wrong way to protest. that When you start talking, that's immediately what I start thinking about. Mm-hmm. What's the right way? The national. It, exactly. And the thing of it is, and, and, and after I sat and thought about it for a minute, I'm like, there is no right way for people who don't want to understand the state of this union still. Yeah. yeah. So and, a lot and, of what, and, and just to go back to what you mentioned a little bit ago, yes, a lot of people disliked him and his methodology. Roughly two years before his death in 1968, about two thirds of the country didn't like him. FBI had been monitoring him for years. Mm -hmm. And after he gave his I have a dream speech on the March in Washington in 64, the FBI was uh, named him, quote, the most dangerous and effective Negro leader in the country. Wow. End quote. So it was a big deal. And and, 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 as a matter of fact, Anybody in the black community that was able to rise up and bring people together to influence some type of change was a threat. Right. So I'm thinking about not necessarily Dr. King, but also I'm sure you heard him Fred Hampton. Malcolm um, X. Malcolm X. And I don't like the fact that while they were both alive, many people try to pit Dr. King and Malcolm X against each other. Mm-hmm. They may have had different ideologies. I, ideological say the word for me <laughs> ideological <laughs> that thing <laughs> one of those days i'm sorry <laughs> they tried it as though they were completely opposite ends yeah of the movement when they really they did have different ideas of how to how to approach it that is mm-hmm. true but they weren't necessarily enemies right and granted malcolm x did say some things about dr king but if anybody knows the story about Malcolm X, he had uh, an evolution of mindset once he left, left the, the nation of Islam. So these yeah. men weren't enemies, but they tried to play them against each other because divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. So Keenan Ivory Wayans has forever ruined Malcolm X for me. <laughs> Let me explain. <sighs> When In Living Color was a show, uh, you'll recall Spike Lee made the movie about Malcolm X. And on In Living Color, they did a skit where one of the Wayans brothers was playing Spike Lee. Mm -hmm. And it was tie-in products to the movie. Mm -hmm. So they had like, I can't believe it's not Malcolm X butter and... My favorite was Malcolm X Lax. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and anytime I hear Malcolm X, the lax in my brain follows. And that is completely Keenan Ivory Wayne's fault. Oh my goodness. Uh, just 30 years I'm just later. Gonna, I'm going to put this plug in here. If you've never seen In Living Color, do yourself a favor, hunt it down, binge it. That was one of the most forward improv shows 
ever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that show brought us Jim Carrey. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, Keenan Ivory's brother, uh, Damon. Damon. Yeah. It brought the whole Wayne's family, really. Yeah. And who's the one of that? Jennifer actor? Lopez. Thank you. Was a <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, but yeah, he ruined Malcolm X for me. Yeah, they did a they did another skit. Now that we've veered off, we might as well just keep going. They did another skit where they had Damon playing um, the leader of the Nation of Islam doing a call in advice line. <clears throat> it was the funniest. As a matter of fact, I think once we wrap here, I'm going to go ahead and find that. <laughs> and he's he's sitting at the a desk taking the the phone in callers and. He addresses one of them. He says, hello, white wife. It was the way he said it. Just he used to do those sketches, just straight face. I howled. Yeah. And I, for every time I see it, I'm like, oh, my gosh. And of course, it's, it's, it's not me making light of Nation of Islam in any way right. whatsoever. But the Wayne's were comedic geniuses. And that's just that's facts. <laughs> yeah. And I used to love the Damon Wayne character with, that was in prison. They used every word completely mm-hmm. wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd be like, the daffodil that got me indicted. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Yeah, every every week after a new episode came, because I think it came on Sundays. It did. Every Monday morning on the way to school, we would talk about the show. And then so it would usually be a boy would go off on one of those you know, using all the $5 words the wrong way speeches. Right. The obfuscation of the demonstration of the ovulation. Like, the, <laughs> yeah. The thing cool. everybody remembers is Fire Marshal Bill, mm-hmm. Homie the Clown, mm-hmm. uh, the two gay movie critics. What was mm-hmm. it? I give it two snaps and a. Men on films. That's what it was yeah, called. Men, men on, on films. Film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's generally what gets remembered but yeah. some of those other skits were way funnier oh yeah it's it's it was nothing but classics it really was yeah so oh. anyway i didn't mean to add the topic and take it in a comedic route but i had to get that from my chest <laughs> but and when you think about it and i'm going to draw this correlation and it it may not it may not gel but just go with me Disruption has a way of making people pay attention, really. And when you think yeah. about the stuff that the Waynes was doing back in the 90s with that show, some of it was borderline offensive, really. Some of it wouldn't fly today. Oh, mm. men on film would <laughs> not, not at all. Make not ever. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing of it was is that even they they were in their own way willing to break some rules to make people pay attention. Yeah. Same way, I guess, you know, some years later, Dave Chappelle did and mm-hmm. so on and so forth when they did their shows. So I equate this to something like Dr. King in that anytime, whatever era that you're in, somebody's going to be doing something that is too extreme for what's, what the expectation is at that time. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what Dr. King was doing. He was too much for a lot of people. And a lot of that ties into what we call respectability politics, which was actually something that the term itself was quite quite coined in 1993. But the idea has been the same for a long time Mm -hmm. in that in order to be accepted by the majority of population of whatever country you're in, you need to start acting like them. Mm -hmm. And so in this case, it was, you need to, dress like them you need to talk like them you need to have these kinds of manners you need to have this kind of education yet in other words as far as this country was concerned what blacks are being told you need to act like white people in order for them to accept you Mm -hmm. that only got you so far and it was also black people telling other black people to do this you know yeah and that's why black people are the worst critics of other black people i've noticed I hate to say it. Yeah, I, I do. And I don't, I, I don't know. I imagine there's a variety of reasons and I'm sure there are people much smarter than me 
They have written books and thesis about this very thing. But a lot of it, I think it's just, it's been indoctrinated mm-hmm. into us from way back being uh, dehumanized and minimized and disrespected. It just, sometimes mm-hmm. I think that's just unconsciously passed down, passed down. And I hate to see it. Yeah. I hate to see it. So that, that unfortunately is true, but for, and then like I said, in this case, in this instance, a lot of the people that were doing the criticizing of Dr. King were black people. And they were telling you, you need to calm it down because you're making mm-hmm. the rest of us look bad. You're going to make the rest of us have that much harder of a, of a way to fit in if you keep doing what you're doing. And the thing was the way he organized his protests and the things he did to draw attention, these inequalities, his people weren't violent. It was the police. It was oh, other yeah. white people that were counter protesting, but he's getting told you're making it hard. You're, you're causing violence. No, the other people were right. Yeah. So yeah. to have what he was trying to do all those years be thought of unfavorably. And then we get all, you know, these decades down the road and all of a sudden he's this magical, mythical being that everybody loved. That's not the case. And I wish people would stop acting like it was not yeah. that he wasn't, do that respect because by all means he was but don't act like don't act like you would have been one of the people had you lived in that time that you would have been one of the people that supported what he did most likely you might not have been <laughs> i agree 100 percent. it ties into what i was saying earlier mm-hmm. see people around this time and they start posting about them and it's like you would not have been a fan of his Mm-mm. back then just Mm-mm. just saying what and. used to get me is that people used to love to take the, I have a dream for my children. We'll live in a nation, whether it be judged by the color of their skin, but by the contact of their character. People love to take that one in and twist it. Yes. Yeah. This is why there shouldn't be affirmative action. This is why there's reverse racism, which, by the way, is not a thing. What he was saying was, yes, he wants to see a country where his children aren't judged just by the color of their skin. Right. That they wouldn't be persecuted and dehumanized because of it. That's where he was going with that. But if you leave out the rest of the speech Mm -hmm. and take that one line, oh, yeah, you can do whatever you want to with it. I'm like, no, don't do that. Don't make it look like he was unaware of what was mm-hmm. happening or that the people that he was talking to were unaware. He knew exactly mm-hmm. what was going on. He knew yeah. exactly what he wanted to do and what he, he wished other people would do not sit, um, you know, around a campfire and seeing Kumbaya people need to get up and take action. That's what he was telling them to do. Yeah. But of course it always get taken out of context saying you shouldn't judge people by their color. And this is why people need to be colorblind. no, and we talked about this the other episode, not mm-hmm. colorblind, but color aware and color mm-hmm. conscience. Yeah. It's like I always said, assholes come in all shapes, sizes, colors, religions, mm-hmm. sexual orientations. Mm-hmm. Get to know a person. Yeah. And then decide if they're worth your time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And here's a couple of things I found real interesting that um, apparently I, I didn't notice when they first came out or I blanked them out because who they, they were attributed to. But former Vice President Mike Pence mm-hmm. made a quote back in 2019, just right around this time of the year, mm-hmm. um, where he says, quote, one of my favorite quotes from Dr. King was, now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. You think of how he changed America. He inspired us to change through the legislative process to become a more perfect union. No, that's not, no. (laughs) That's not what he was trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Now now all of a sudden, that's the way you interpreted what he was doing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. No. (laughs) And then he he also made a quote, I can't remember the exact date, but apparently it was in reference to 45 trying to build his border wall, saying, uh, you know, Dr. King liked to build bridges, not walls or some gibberish. He totally messed the quote up, but -hmm. he was trying to use Dr. King's words in defense of this border wall. I'm like, no, (laughs) again, no. (laughs) That's sort of par for the course anymore. I don't, I don't even know how to phrase it, but 
yeah <laughs> i don't know i'm yeah. it kind of blows the mind doesn't it yeah i don't know <laughs> mm-hmm. like every and you're right every year this stuff gets trotted out about the same time or when some some event or situation pops up that has to do with some kind of you know racial conflict and all of a sudden somebody starts trotting out the quotes yeah i'm like no you're you're getting it wrong trust me he probably would have been a lot a lot more in favor of the kind of protesting that had been done than not and granted again he was he was nonviolent. he wasn't a pacifist but he did believe in nonviolent protests mm-hmm. but um considering what we know now especially in the protests that have been happening in the last two years you know a lot of that violence was not caused by the protesters. You know, people were being brought in to stage these things just to discredit the movement. Mm-hmm. But as far as how those protests start out and how the vast majority of them ended up completely peaceful, he would have been mm-hmm. behind that 100%. Yeah. I yeah. think so. I tend to agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, <laughs> as a veteran, I never had an issue with uh Colin Kaepernick kneeling mm-hmm. or other players in different sports. Cause I felt that was the, like the most respectful sort of way that you could do that. You know, they could have stood up and had their middle fingers out. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and the thing that people, well, probably don't know cause they haven't looked into it. Uh, one of Kaepernick's teammates was an Iraq war veteran Mm -hmm. and he uh, Kaepernick asked him, you know, what would be a good way to protest, but not, you know, do it in like a angry jerky way. And um, it was this, this other teammate and they sort of talked over and came up with that because the teammate was like, it's respectful, but it also is making a point. And it just threw everybody up in arms. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can't, I can't believe how easily and how quickly the false correlation was made between what he did and disrespect towards the military. Like, how did you, how did you make that leap in logic? Where did that come from? Like, I've, I've read people's explanation about the flag symbolizes America and. Blah, blah blah in defense of our nation you're disrespecting them no i don't your line of logic it doesn't it doesn't go the reason is because they're like people died for our country and that flag mm-hmm. and that's what it is but yes people died for their country but i don't think when you're in a firefight or whatever you're thinking well i gotta you know, do this for the flag. I mean, you have flags on your uniforms and whatnot. It, that's not why you're doing it. It's not for uh, the flag. You're doing it for, yes, your country, your family, and your friends. But I think that's where it comes from. But I never had a problem with it. The most respectful way you could do that. I mean, I thought so too. And you would think by how some of these so-called NFL fans freaked out. You think part of their paycheck was going to his salary. Like he had literally come into their homes and pimp slapped him or something. They were that outraged. Like I'm burning his shoes. I'm burning the Jersey. I'm burning it all. I'm not going to watch the NFL anymore. Oh yeah. Like that happened. I know. Oh, I know. Their ratings did not slip. Not, not so much. (laughs) And the whole, um, I'm going to boycott Nike. Yeah. You're going to go ahead and burn $120 pair of shoes. Right. Okay. (laughs) Well, I know somebody that is boycotting Nike, but the only shoes they wear is Converse. Nike owns Converse. (laughs) they're not too bright are they <laughs> yeah i just find that funny i'll never wear a nike okay. oh my goodness <laughs> i'm sure they'll miss your dollars i'm sure yeah. their bottom line is going to be hurting at the end of this fiscal year yeah those check tailors you're wearing yeah 
Oh. I don't I buy Nike because I don't want to support the University of Oregon. Oh, but what's wrong with them? I have not forgiven them for when they screwed OU in that uh, bowl game. It was really the rest, but I blame Oregon. And I can't forgive them for that. So what you have is something like a grudge. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now, not for political reasons, a real reason. <laughs> Football. <laughs> well, that's sort of like, you know, setting couches and cars on fire during a protest. That's wrong. But setting couches and cars on fire because your team won. Yeah. That's a real reason. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where that started, but that's probably the most redneck thing ever. Uh, yeah, I I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't imagine the origin of that. And that now that I think about it, it's something I probably will think about doing and then forget about. So, but <laughs> I hear what you're saying about as far as, you know, what the flag represents. But to me, you're saying the flag represents the military, but the military does what? Protect its citizens, which is right. us. Well, I the flag mean, represents from all the other of us. people's point of view. That's yeah. not my no, point I, I know. I know what you're okay. saying. I know what you're saying. But yeah, no, it's it's everybody. Mm-hmm. And it's like when you hear people that will say, um, well, we got to take our country back. Back from who? <laughs> the, the other people. People are Americans, too. Mm-hmm. They have a claim to the country, right? And I mean, just in general, not skin color or anything like that, because mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. talking about, like, us versus Democrats. Well, Democrats have a claim to the country as well, <laughs> right? So when we got to take the country back, take it back from whom? Exactly. Your fellow Americans? Mm-hmm. So... Which is what you said a couple episodes ago. Uh, uh, you even sent me the quote, and it was, I get to complain about America because I love her and I'm a citizen, something like that. You'll correct me, I'm sure. Stop it, but I will. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wanted to be cor- uh, correct in what I'm saying. I'd only paraphrase it, but yeah, I sent you the the actual quote. I love America more than any other country in the world. And exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. James Baldwin. Yes. Thank you. Mm -hmm. It's a lovely quote. It is. And and it's apt. Yeah. And I, I don't find it surprising not one bit that James Baldwin ended up in France eventually. Because he was mm-hmm. he was sick of it here, basically. But that's another story. But yeah, it's it's the fact that folks like you and me, and I'm sure millions of others, we love this country. Yeah. And we and we can't imagine being anywhere else. But at the same time, if you would just keep co-signing the nonsense that some of the people in this country insist upon putting out there, you're not doing any of us any favors. Yeah. And I always find it weird. Well, maybe that's not the right word, but you'll see somebody on Saturday or Sunday cheering for that athlete on their team, running to score a touchdown, going crazy and jumping them down and giving the high fives. But then on Monday, if that person's like, what they did to George Floyd was wrong. And then all of a sudden they hate the person. Mm -hmm. But then Saturday... And that person breaks free, running for a touchdown again. There they are all jumping and down and cheering mm-hmm. again. It's like, do you not see the oddness in that? And what's funny is that that athlete had the courage of their convictions, but the person criticizing clearly does not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, I just find that weird that like, it's like a shutoff valve for your hose. You know, you turn the crank. Oh, we're excited. Up, oh, sports is over. Let's turn the valve off. Mm-hmm. Like all day. What was it? I can't remember who said it some years ago. I think it was a sportscaster. I think she said it about LeBron James, shut up and dribble. 
Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I don't think it was a sportscaster. I or a news anchor, a, somebody. I think it was a female politician. Was it? I think so. But crap like that gets said all the time. So mm-hmm. we're probably both right. <laughs> Yes, I'm saying they kind of blend into each other after a while. So (laughs) they probably both said it in some Mm -hmm. situation. Because I guarantee you, Marjorie Taylor Greene has probably said something similar. But she's not saying it on Twitter anymore. No, she is not. (laughs) Thank God. That won't stop her. I know. It's so gross. Oh, goodness. But she's gone over to whatever that. I'm not even going to say the name. Even if I remember it, I wouldn't say it. Right. Whatever that other social media site is for all the clowns with the bells and whistles that Joe Rogan apparently is on too. So, yeah, mm. I, I think that's the one with zero moderation has all the uh, pedophiles on it. Yeah, sounds like delightful company. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Kind of people like to spend Easter Sunday with. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just so they can sit up here and argue that the Easter rabbit should be, has been, and should always be white. But anyway, I digress. Um, <laughs> hmm. That's funny because I was perf my uh, chocolate Easter bunnies to be dark chocolate. You see the, the irony in that? It's I, my favorite I, chocolate. <laughs> but yeah, no, I do. And Sometimes all you can do is throw your hands up in the air and laugh in frustration. Either It's either frustration or I really am going crazy and I'm not aware of it yet. You're not going crazy. Everyone else might, but you're not. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, anyway. Still got time. If I'm aware of it, I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You still not got quite. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I don't know. It's, it's just the the, hypocr- the hypocrisy of it, the audacity of it. Every single freaking year, you yep. talk about him as though he's a great man. And, you know, he had these great quotes and he was all about unity when it was, unity might have been his end goal, but he was by no means trying to get there in a peaceful manner. Yeah, he, he wasn't going to tiptoe around anything. He wasn't going to weigh. He wasn't going to negotiate or anything like that. Yeah. One of the pieces of advice I gave my children was, generally speaking, to get to where you want to go, if you're on a path, it's not a smooth path. Generally, you have to walk through a lot of shit. And sometimes the shit gets waist deep. But when you get to your destination, you can wash the shit off. It means more. And I think Martin Luther King understood that that road was deeper of shit than normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, he, he, and he didn't mind it. And he had more than a few people behind it that didn't mind it either. Mm-hmm. And for what it's worth, many of us, millions of us right now are grateful for it. Because yeah. the work he did helped to pass the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act. There was so much that he put his efforts brought about mm-hmm. and it's a shame to see it you know like i said 60 some years later still in dispute yep. there's still a question about it so yeah. like my thing is if, if if there's no good way to protest you're trying to tell people that they shouldn't that what we should bit shit back and wait is yeah that, that's it that's, exactly that's, that's that's what i'm hearing it's the same thing as before sit back and wait you don't have to do it like this. You don't have to kneel. You don't have to block the roadways. You don't have to do this. You don't have to. I don't. I can't imagine anybody doing like a sit-in nowadays. That would be something. It wouldn't mean as much though, because everybody'd be on their phone. It's true. <laughs> that's that's disheartening. Now you put it that way. <laughs> I I don't mean to ruin it, but if everybody's sitting there on their phone playing games and. Looking at social media, I think it loses some of the uh, gravity of the situation. Maybe is that the word I'm they, looking for? They used to have when they were getting ready for these protests. They actually had like workshops, and they would get together classes and things that they would demonstrate and teach you how to act at these sit-ins. Mm-hmm. 
And if the, the police tried to come and forcibly remove you, they taught you how to pretty much, you know, you know, go dead weight to make mm-hmm. it difficult for them to try to pull you out and, and put you in a police car. They mm-hmm. actually taught them how to do this. This was and, and not like everybody doesn't know us, but this was serious business. And they mm-hmm. did all this and stood firm in the face of some of the most revolting um, responses from so-called law enforcement, mm-hmm. like sticking dogs on them. Are you serious? Yeah. And they're not even, they're not doing anything. They're taking up space and they're disrupting your day and they're making people uncomfortable. And that's about the extent and they're bringing attention to something, but it was, it was clearly too much. And you're yeah. going to come, they came at those people like that. Um, if you are listening and really want to take the deep dive into how a modern American police was formed and tactics and stuff like that. There's a podcast called Behind the Bastards. I've mentioned it before. He talks about the worst people in history, but he did a mini series. I think it's six or seven episodes called Behind the Police. And it starts in the 1800s, basically with sort of how police started. And then it goes through uh, to about the 1960s, I believe. It's quite eye-opening. And I don't really want to mention it because I don't want to butcher sort of the facts that are in there, but it's definitely worth the two days it will take to listen to it. I can't recommend enough. So mm-hmm. it's quite interesting. I have, I won't listen to a few so far, but I'm, I'm making a note. Yeah. Cause I, I have a tendency to jump around. I'll listen to Especially if it's a podcast that's been around for a while that has yeah. a lot of episodes. I'll listen to like three or four here. Yeah. The next day I'll go listen to this. So I'm making a note to make sure I don't forget this one. So. Yeah. Put it in your search bar of whatever podcast abuse uh, behind the police and it should pull them up because okay. his podcast is like five years old and there's several hundred of them. Mm-hmm. But, Very interesting. But yeah. I'm sure he goes in a lot more depth than I've read so far, but I've, I've read some history of it. Mean, it's... Yeah. Oh, he definitely does. Mm. But anyway. This um, country. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, we have reached our hour plus <laughs> uh, recording time, as we tend to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, programming note. I know that we we were going to talk about the John Birch Society, but we didn't realize until earlier this week that Martin Luther King Day was coming up, and we felt that it was worth doing before the holiday. So that's why we changed, and hopefully we'll have the John Birch Society soon. And that's about it. And then, like I mentioned earlier, February, we're going to talk about important people for Black History Month that you may not know about, which should be exciting, interesting. Learning history is always good. Yes. So, as usual, we end with our charities. Mine is the Service Dog Project. They provide service Great Danes for people with mobility and stability issues. Their website is servicedogproject.org and Kenyatta tell us yours please my charity of choice as we continue our mission to save the world Mm -hmm. is the black women's health imperative which uh, can be reached at bwhi.org and it is their mission to help improve the quality of health care for black women and girls across this country which is a great thing Mm mm-hmm and Absolutely. it's kind of funny. It just hit me. Both of us picked charities that help with people's health. And yeah. that was unintentional. <laughs> yeah. We might, I, it might be that we're at that age that we're starting to see that the, the stories that, you know, people were telling us 20 years ago are true. Yeah. That <laughs> could be. Maybe we've just become compassionate in our old age. I don't, don't tell nobody. <laughs> well, yeah. Forget, forget I said that. <laughs> I, I never said that. We're, we're not compassionate at all. 
<laughs> Not one lick. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, I learned a lot. Thank you for uh, the research you put in for today's episode. Uh, all you. valid points. I mm-hmm. I agree with all of them. And a lot of it was thoughts that I already had, but it was mm-hmm. nice to have some of the history uh, behind those thoughts. So I appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you for indulging me. Not at all. Your, your name comes first in the title. <laughs> I know. That's why they... Oh, no, they don't pay me the big bucks. Never mind. <laughs> That's right. We're doing this for free. Actually, for me, it's a, a net loss at the moment. <laughs> so we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll, we'll get there eventually. Yes, for sure. So, well, I guess we can go ahead and sign off. And thanks for listening, everybody. And as always, if you have something you'd like for us to talk about, Go to our Facebook page, Kenyatta and Jack Save the World. Uh, shoot us a message, leave a comment, like the page. Instagram, sorry, I couldn't think of the name of that. It's oh. go ahead, Kenyatta, and name that one. You'll find us, yes, at Instagram at K A Y A N D J A Y S T W. K N J Save the World. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So, Uh, We'll catch on the next one, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us again. We appreciate your your indulging us. And um, as always, we wish the best for you. We wish you, as we are not, softer, gentler, kinder days. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Musings of an ADD Mind. If you enjoyed this podcast, or even if you didn't, please hit the subscribe or follow button.